Thanks for listening to the LifePoint Church podcast. Visit us online at lifepointcentral.com. Well, good evening, everybody. Let's say this together. I believe, I believe. I'm in the right place at the right time for God to do something awesome in me, for me, and through me. How many believe that tonight? It's really cool to do a, a Friday, Good Friday service. This was, that was, a, that was a good idea. Um, and so we started a series last weekend. If you weren't with us, the series we're just calling um, His Story or History. And how many know that history is important? I want to read this to you. Uh, I have this in my notes. I, I copied this and pasted it. It said, we study history because history never stays behind us. We study history because it helps us understand how the events in the past made things the way that they are today. And the lessons from the past, we not only learn about ourselves and how we came to be, but we develop the ability to not make the same mistakes and actually make better paths in the here and now. So history is important. Some of you may be history buffs. I love history. Some of you may not be, but I'm convinced of this, that uh, history is really about God's story. It's his story. It's not just about all the other world's events. And so the, the events that happened in the, in the history of God's people and God's redemption and plan and the life of Jesus those are important because they have direct impact on what's happening right here, right now. How many b- believe that? And so last weekend, we took a look at how uh, in this series, we're talking about the significance of Jesus entering Jerusalem. Tonight, we're going to talk about the significance of, of his cross. Be with us Sunday morning because we're going to talk about the significance of his resurrection. And then uh, we're not going to stop there. We're even going to take it one more week. We're going to talk about the significance of his return. All of those are historical things that have happened or are about to happen. And so we're going to take a look at that. But last weekend we said this when the significance of Jesus coming into the city of Jerusalem last Sunday began uh, what we refer to as as Holy Week um, on a Sunday, which brings us to this being a Friday. But we said this because the culture at that time, the crowd at that time that gathered outside Jerusalem did so because they thought Jesus was coming to have a political takeover. They thought that Jesus was riding into Jerusalem because he was going to have a, a political revolt. And how many know God had a bigger plan than that? He, he didn't have a mob mentality. He had a, a Messiah mindset. He had a redemption plan and his, his cross was on his agenda while the crowd had a different agenda. But they kept waving these palm branches. That's why it's called Palm Sunday. And they were singing, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, which means come and bring us victory, come and bring us victory. But I'm glad that Jesus had a bigger plan for victory than just a political militant takeover. He had a redemption plan. Someone say amen. Amen. So what we're going to do this evening is I'm going to read through some scriptures and make a few points and we'll close with some worship and communion. So these scriptures will be on the screen for you and we don't always read as many scriptures, but I think it's important that we do tonight. Uh, We don't read as many in, in 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 a setting like this, but we're going to do so tonight. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 27 and let's read the first couple verses. It says, early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans to have Jesus executed. 
So they bound him and they led him away and they handed him over to Pilate, the governor. And if you will, let's jump down to verse 22 and it says this, well, what should I do with this Jesus who you call the Messiah? This was Pilate talking. They all answered and they said this, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said, why, what crime has he really committed, asked Pilate. But they kept shouting louder and louder, what, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, Pilate took water, he washed his hands in front of the crowd, and Pilate said this, he says, well, I'm innocent of this man's blood. It's your responsibility. And all the people answered, his blood is on us, let it be on our children. So they actually released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. I know I said this several times on Sunday, but the crowd that so welcomed Jesus with palm branches and they shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, our victory is here, was the same crowd by the end of the week that were their Hosannas turned into crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And I just think that's an amazing thing that can happen in, in less than a week that the crowd could go from shouts of victory and Hosanna to now asking for Jesus to be crucified and, and, and asking for Barabbas to be released from prison. And, and we know Barabbas was, was a zealot and he, he uh, was a famous zealot for leading uh, military revolts. And so they wanted a military political revolt instead of what God's plan actually was. And, and so Pilate himself says, I want nothing to do that with, with this man. I wash my hands of him because he found no guilt on Jesus. But he turned him over, the Bible said, to be crucified. Uh, our word crucified really is where we get our word, it's a word execution, it's where we get our word um, excruciating. So they were turning him over to an excruciating way of death. Let's, let's pick up here down in verse 27, and it says, the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium, and they gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him, and they put a scarlet robe on him, and then they twisted together a crown of thorns, and they put it on his head. Then they put a staff in his right hand, and they knelt in front of him, and they began to mock him. And they made a mockery of him, and they, they said the words we just sang, all hell, King Jesus, or all hell, King of the Jews. They began to spit on him. They took the staff, and they struck him on the head again and again. And after they mocked him, they took off his robe and put his clothes back on him, and they led him away to be crucified. Other gospels say it this way, that he was scourged and he was scorned, which means he was mocked, he was physically tortured, he was physically beaten, he was, he was taken into the praetorium, which means he probably had three to six hundred soldiers around him that took their turns mocking him, spitting on him, and physically abusing him. The Bible says that there were professional torturers who took turns beating Jesus um, they tied him to a pole about this high, stripped him of his clothing, and on each side of him, they, they, they struck him with these whips. And these whips had bones and glass and metal objects tied to them, and they just took their turns abusing Jesus and beating him. The Bible said for 39 stripes, and I remember reading a report a few years ago that, that they only gave 39 because they believed that the 40th strike would be the strike of death. And I, I read an article on this one time, too, that said that there are, they categorize sickness and disease into 39 different categories. And so he took a stripe for every bit of sickness that, that we categorize on our earth. That's not just circumstantial stuff. That's, that's, 
that's Jesus taking uh, that beating and that torture, uh, not just uh, for historical reasons, but for our healing, for our deliverance. And, and so let, let's continue to read on. Uh, the Bible says this, that they, they came to a place called Golgotha. Golgotha means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink, but they mixed it with gall. But after tasting it, he refused it to drink it. When they crucified him, they divided his clothes and they casted lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. And above his head, they placed this written charge against him, which is, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. So they led him to a place called Golgotha. Golgotha basically means a place of the skull. It, it was called the place of the skull because in the background of Golgotha was all of these caves uh, used for graves. And they said that it resembled the look of skulls. Um, it was also called Golgotha because there were literally thousands of skulls of people they executed. It was right outside the city of Jerusalem. So if you entered or exited Jerusalem on the, on the street, you would always be able to see Golgotha. And it was a reminder basically of this, of the power of Rome, of the power of the military force of Rome, the, the uh, agenda of Rome that that uh, was so powerful and was so present. And so this is what people would be reminded of. And there was where Jesus gave his life on a cross. In essence, Jesus was found uh, guilty and crucified or executed for being a terrorist against Rome. And to you and I, a cross may not seem like it's a familiar image in our culture. Many of you sitting here tonight might have a necklace with a cross on it. And probably to you, that cross is a symbol of just a, a memory of, of God's son. It, it could be a, a, a statement of your faith. But to us, if we would interpret maybe that a little bit more into our culture, it would be our electric chair. And I've, I've never seen anyone with an electric chair necklace. Um, I, I doubt you have that. Obviously, to think of that is kind of the thought of, oh, that's kind of disgusting or that's kind of morbid. That's what the cross was in ancient times. That's what the cross was in the culture of this times. It was literally our electric chair. It was a sign of a criminal dying a death that he deserves for his life to be ended. And so uh, that's, what, that's what the cross was then. That's what it signified then. And that's where they took Jesus to be executed. Let, let, let's keep reading on here. So Jesus is, is nailed to a cross. He, he is on a cross. You could view him from the streets of Jerusalem. Uh, we, we see this dramatic scene playing out after his, his, his trial. In verse 45, it says this, that Jesus from noon until, until three in the afternoon, there was darkness over the earth while he hung on the cross. And about three o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani which I'm sure I botched that, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and they got a sponge and they filled it with wine vinegar. They put it on a, on a staff and they offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest of them said this, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah can come and save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split open, and the tombs were open. The bodies of many holy people who died were raised to life. They came out of the tomb after Jesus, uh, after his resurrection. They went into the holy city, and they appeared to many people. Verse 54, when the centurion who saw 
those with him were guarding Jesus. That They saw the earthquake and all that had happened. They were terrified. And he, he said this, surely this was actually the Son of God. So this crucifixion, this trial began about 9 o'clock in, in the morning when Jesus was crucified. And as he hung there on the cross and as noon rolled around, darkness covered the earth. And as darkness covered the earth, you, you, you could imagine this eerie feeling because they took this man who many said was the son of God and many disputed that. They took this man who really, they found no sin. They found no, no uh, uh, proof of any wrongdoing in him, but yet they put him on the cross and they gave him a terrorist death. And he hung there on this cross and, 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 and with some people, they probably thought this is an innocent man. The others wanted him crucified and they shouted and the religious crowd wanted his life to end. They wanted his sentence to be um, immediate. They wanted death to happen and, and they got their wish and all of a sudden it just grew dark across the land. And I'm sure those watching had to start thinking, uh-oh, um, what, what, what's, what's happening here? And I, I thought this is amazing every time I read this story as noon turned into 3 p.m. Jesus said something. Something Amazing. Jesus said, Father, um, why are you forsaking me? So God's own son hanging on a cross was overwhelmed with such a feeling that he had to verbalize, God, you have forsaken me. Now, I want you to know this, and I'm sure you would testify to this, God has never forsaken you. The reason why he's never forsaken you is because he chose to forsake his son on the cross. The reason why Jesus said that is because all of the sin of the world was put on the shoulders of Jesus and God couldn't look at it any longer. Jesus became the sacrificial lamb. And so Jesus cried out, Father, why did you forsake me? After saying that, the Bible says he gave up his spirit and Jesus died on that cross. And I, I think these events that we just read through are also interesting that the, not only was there darkness, not only did Jesus cry out and say, Father, why, why did you turn your back on me? Why did you abandon me? And he gave up his spirit. And then the Bible said even more mysterious things begin to happen. The Bible says this, that the temple veil, which was this massive uh, veil that separated usual worship from the holy of holies, where only a priest could go one time a year. And, and most theologians will tell you at the moment that they were sacrificing their sacrifice, the veil tore in two. What is that? What's the significance of that? Is that the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus gave happened at the moment of usual religious sacrifice. And you couldn't go into that area, only the priest could, but Jesus made a way for us to come right to God, right to him. He tore that massive veil and tore it in two. And the Bible says some very peculiar things continued to happen at that same moment. Um, that there was a seismic earthquake that actually spit, split rocks in half. We just read that. And, and at the same time, it was so seismic. It's where we get the word seismic. Uh, seismic from with earthquakes. And at the same time that that happened, that rocks split apart, the Bible said that graves opened up. And holy people who had already passed away, who had died, they actually came up out of the graves and they walked around the streets. 
Now, we, you can read that and be glassed over at that and think, well, that's something, but can you imagine that? Can you imagine being in the town for the Passover feast? Can you imagine being there in the busy streets and watching all the commotion of this trial and then watching the commotion of this crucifixion and then watching whether you thought he should have been crucified or not, whether you were in the crowd that said crucify him or you were a follower who did not abandon him, that all of a sudden at his death, there's darkness over the earth, there's seismic activity, uh, rocks are splitting open, the veil in the temple is being ripped in half, and then all of a sudden there's aunt whoever and uncle whoever who come up out of the grave and start to walk around. And those who stood at the feet of the cross said, um, surely I think this was the son of God. I mean, that doesn't happen at a normal death or a normal uh, funeral. Well, what happened there was Jesus ripped the, the, power of, of, of the, the power of his death ripped religion in half, yeah. tore the veil in half, and, and when he gave up his last breath, the graves were open. That was an amazing event that, that happened. That, that, so, so I agree with the crowd um, um, that surely this was the Son of God. Verse 57 says this, and as the evening approached, there was a rich man from Arimathea. His name was Joseph who had himself become a follower or disciple of Jesus. And going to Pilate, he asked for the body of Jesus, and Pilate ordered that it would be given to him. So Joseph took his body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, placed it in his own tomb that he had cut out of the rock, and he rolled a huge stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. So all of these events that had this climactic moment at the cross, now... We see Jesus, the quote-unquote Son of God, being buried in this tomb. And if you at that time were following Jesus, you were probably perplexed that the one that you were following, claiming to be the Son of God, now died on the cross. People stood around and said, well, let Elijah come and save him. Let angels come down. If he's really the king of kings, let him bring himself down off the cross. So that was, that's why historically happened, without a lot of the gruesome details, that's historically how the crucifixion happened. That's historically how the death of Jesus happened. And I, I want to read a scripture from you. This is in 1 Corinthians and get to a few of things I want to say here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, I want you to look at this verse. The message about the cross doesn't make any sense to lost people. But for those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God at work. That, that's quite a scripture. The message of the cross, the story of the cross, the history of the cross, for a lot of people, it just it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But to those of us who understand the meaning of the cross, it's the power of God at work. And so what, 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 is the, what does that mean, the, the message about the cross or the power of the cross? What, what, what is that message of the cross that, that's brought us into this house tonight? And it, it's just simply this message that God's only son stepped out of heaven, came to this earth, lived a sinless life, yet laid his life down to be brutally beaten, to be mocked, to be executed as a terrorist on the cross giving his life 
as a ransom for you, for me, giving his life as a sacrifice and dying on that cross to pay the penalty and to pay the debt for your sin and my sin. And you know what? They're right. He could have called for a legion of angels to bring him off the cross, but he didn't. That's the message of the cross that God in some way had to rescue humanity because of the, the, the nature of their sin. And we all have a nature of sin. We, we all, we all uh, uh, have been professional sinners. We've been good at it. And it was, it was my sin and it was your sin that took Jesus to the cross and kept him on the cross. So what's the significance of his cross? Around here we always do life points in every message. And so the first life point would be this, that the significance of the cross was this, that it was a place of victory, not defeat. It was a place of victory, not defeat. Because if you look at an electric chair in our culture, it's a place of, of defeat. We will look and say, what a waste, what a loss for someone to live their life in such a way that it had to be ended at an electric chair. And you, a lot of people look and say, well, that was a defeat. God's son lost his life on the cross. He died on the cross. But it was not a place of defeat. It was actually a place of victory. That's the significance of the cross. Hebrew says he endured the cross for the joy of what the cross would bring. Colossians said this, by shedding his blood on the cross, he reconciled all things to himself. And Colossians also goes on and says, he canceled our debt at the cross and he made a public display of the enemy. Here's what that means. It wasn't a place where God lost the battle. It wasn't a place where Jesus lost his fight. It was actually a place where he won. It was a place of victory not defeat. So that, that scripture we read, the message of the cross is foolish to some, but to those who are being saved or to those who understand it, it's actually the power of God working. So we can look at the cross and not understand it. We can look at the cross and be ignorant of it. We can look at the cross and mock it and, and, and say to ourselves, well, that cross stuff, that's just foolishness. But if we're looking at the cross and we understand the power of the cross, it's God working. So that's victory. It's not defeat. It was Jesus. He said the whole reason he emptied himself and came to this world was the cross. It was his destiny. It was his agenda to go to the cross. That's why it was a place of victory. Why was it victory? Because Jesus actually said he's fulfilled the will of God. He's fulfilled the plan of God. Going to the cross was always his destiny. So it was a place of victory. It was never a place of defeat. Second life point is this, that he is the victor. He's not a victim. Jesus was never a victim of that cross. He was always a victor of the cross. Actually, John says it this way. He said, Jesus offered his life. No man actually takes it. So it was a place of victory. The reason why you made time to come out tonight, because you know the cross, even though it was in culture at that time, it was an ugly scene. Actually, you know, the Bible says if you were an onlooker and you saw Jesus on the cross, you couldn't even tell it was a human. He was so badly beaten and bruised. And you would look and you would say, oh, that poor, that poor man that lost it. No, he was a victor at that moment. It was a place of victory. It was not a place of defeat. And he was never, 
a victim. Because the Bible says this, he humbled himself even to the point of death and death on a cross. So if he humbled himself, it was his offering. He gave his life, it wasn't taken. So what was the significance of the cross? It was a place of victory, not of defeat. He's a victor, not a victim. And I want you to get this, this, this last point. You're the one who determined its value for yourself. You determine its value for yourself. Isn't that what we just read in Corinthians? You determine the value of the cross. It was a place of victory. He was a victor. It was not a place of defeat. He was never the victim. But you determine its value. The Bible says in Corinthians that some look at the cross and say, that's foolishness. Actually, if you translate that word foolishness, it's where we get this word, we get our word moron from. What it's saying is some will look at the cross and think it's moronic. It makes no sense. It's some story. It's foolishness to some, the Bible says. It's absolute foolishness to some. You could say it this way, to some, it was nonsense. Some even, this is strong language that when we interpret it, it was stupid. To those who rejected it, it was nonsense. We just read that in, in Corinthians. And there are some that can look at the cross and they can say, that's just, that's nonsense. Is there any power to that? Is there any, is there any, anything good that can come out of that? But I love the end of that verse because it said, even though it's foolishness to some, it's the power of God to others. How could it be foolishness to one person, but to another person they recognize that it's the saving power of God? To some, it's God working. It's deliverance from sin. To some, it's foolishness, but to others, they understand it's actually the method of salvation. See, the cross is either saving you when you understand the power of the cross, or it's causing you to perish because of disbelief in its value. Galatians says it this way, that It's quoting Old Testament scriptures, and it says that anyone who hangs on a cross or a tree becomes a curse. And so Jesus actually became the curse. And curse, the curse in the Old Testament had three parts. It meant to be separated from God, it meant the power of sickness, and it meant the power of poverty. So what it is saying is Jesus took the power of sin, the power of of disease, and the power of poverty onto his shoulders. He became that. You know, it would sort of be like this if you took a hardened criminal with undeniable evidence of the worst crimes and put him on death row, destined for an electric chair. And someone who had never done anything wrong just stepped in and said, I'll take his sentence. That's literally 
what that verse means. John says it this way, if you believe in the power of the cross and confess, you will be redeemed. If you don't, you in essence damn yourself. So in the world we're in today, the moment that we're living in, this evening right here, broke down to this, this, this setting in this room. There are some of us in here, when we talk about the cross, I mean, I'm, I'm watching you. I see heads nodding. I've heard amens. I've seen tears. Because you know that the power of this cross, and this is, just, this is just a symbol, this is just a replica here tonight, but the power of this cross altered your life. It was your lies, your lust, your sin, your disobedience that Jesus became so you could be redeemed. He paid your debt. Some of us are sitting here and we still might think, well, that's, that's just a kind of a foolish story because you don't understand it hasn't altered your life yet. It hasn't changed your life yet. How many understand what I just said? The power of the cross changed your life. It altered your life. You're not perfect. You're not there yet, but thank God you're not who you were. But see, some of you came to the cross with a rap sheet. You came to the cross with a lot of baggage. You came to the cross with a lot of, a lot of junk. And the cross is actually a symbol of an exchange. You gave Jesus your junk. He picked up your junk and gave you his righteousness gave you his goodness, gave you forgiveness, redeemed you. There's this big theological word, it's this word, justification. When we accept Jesus, it's just as if we haven't sinned. And the blood that ran down that cross covered your sin and my sin. When you've, when you've confessed you're a sinner and you need Jesus and you made him the savior of your life, it was at that moment you knew the power of the cross because it changed you. It altered you. Immediately you went from a sinner on your way to heaven. That's the power of God at work. And I'll, I'll, I put this at the end of my notes here. What the cross does for all of us, it puts us at the crossroads. The crossroads between Life and death, heaven and hell, hope and despair, bondage and freedom. And, I, and we, we created tonight to be a little low-key, but I need you to like forget low-key for a moment and shout about what I'm going to say, right? Because this is good. I put this in my notes. The cross is the crossroads where forgiveness crosses out your failure. It's the crossroads. It's the crossing point where your failure was forgiven. Whether you were the worst or not so bad, you were still a person of failure and the cross crossed out your failure. In the eyes of God, you are no longer that failure. Your identity is no longer that you're that loser or that you're that sinner. You're forgiven. And... The Bible says you were forgiven for every sin that you ever committed. Yeah. All the stuff you would never want anyone to know that you thought, you said, or you ever did. Not only were your sins from yesterday forgiven, your sins in the here and now, they're also forgiven. 
It also means the power of the cross. People will argue with this, but this is accurate, that your sins in your tomorrow that you might commit are also forgiven. That, that's the forgiving power that was crossed out at the cross. All right, I got another one. You ready for this? The cross is also the crossroads where grace crosses out your guilt. Not just your failures, but the guilt from your failures. That the grace, you say, what's grace mean? It means the goodness of God. Actually, the, this, this story I'm telling you tonight is the gospel, and the word gospel means it sounds like it's too good to be true. But it, grace crosses out your guilt. And, and the cross, why is it so significant? Because it's the crossroads where mercy crosses out your mess. So what happened at this cross, the reason why those of you who were shouting a moment ago, I've seen you do this, I've seen the tears, I've seen the smile, because you understand and you know the power of this, it's the power of salvation, it's what saved you, because you couldn't save yourself. It's what rescued you, because you couldn't rescue yourself. It's what redeemed you, because you couldn't redeem yourself. It was a debt that you were not able to write the check for, that he wrote with his blood and with his life. That's why we're here on Good Friday. Now, I was thinking about this this week, and I was thinking about this illustration. And so I, I made this. And at first I thought, you know, what Jesus did, and this is just, some of us have been liars. And my, my first thought was, you know what Jesus did? Jesus actually, he took your lying and he nailed it to the cross. And I was thinking, well, not only did maybe Jesus nail that lying to the cross, maybe Maybe some of us just were full of hatred and anger. And maybe Jesus nailed that to the cross. Or maybe for some of us there was, there was the power of lust. And maybe Jesus, could it be that Jesus nailed your lying to the cross? Could it be that Jesus nailed your hate to the cross? Could it be that Jesus nailed your lust to the cross? And I got thinking about that, and I thought, that's a wrong theology. It sounds good, it's moving, but it's inaccurate. Because what I believe the truth is, is I don't think Jesus nailed those to the cross. I think we nailed Jesus to the cross. Because if scripture's right, and I believe that it is, he became lust, and he became lying, and he became hate. Our hate, our lust, our lying, and we nailed him to the cross. Think about the power of that statement. It was your sin, your failure, your error that nailed Jesus to the cross. Now, he willingly went, but he just didn't nail 
your failure, he became your failure. That's why he has the power to break it over your life. He became your sin. That's what broke the power of it over your life. Because he became that, he became your freedom. He became your deliverance. He became your salvation. That's why that scripture in 1 Corinthians stands out and it's so accurate because when you understand what I just said, you understand that for some, it's moronic. But to me, it's the power that saved me. It's the power that saved me. It's the power that delivered me. It's the power that healed me. It's the power that set me free. Because I came to the crossroads with my failure, my mess, and my guilt. And he crossed it out. He crossed it out. That's the significance of his cross. The very people that shouted Hosanna, shouted crucify him, was the very people that he said, understand now that's the power that's not moronic that's mind-blowing that's a higher understanding of the love of God for you and me for you and for me